This past week, uh, past month rather, we've been giving attention to uh, our families and our children's ministries particularly, and so I thought as I kind of wrapped up the uh, Central Jesus series that uh, I would revisit uh, one of the parables that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, talk to you a little bit today about some of the things that I think we can pick out from that parable that Jesus gave about how we can establish healthy homes. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll uh, jump in. If you have your Bibles uh, with you or have them on your devices, I'm going to be reading a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 7 uh, this morning, and so I would invite you to uh, take your Bibles out and, uh, or your devices and follow along with me. Let's pray. Father, as we continue on in our worship of you, we thank you for the words that we have been singing, the words that we have heard, the words that we've been challenged with already. But we give you great thanks for your word, for the scriptures, and how they instruct us and and teach us. And so we pray that as we look at this story that Jesus gave, that uh, we would be able to pull out some of the principles that would help us in our living out your values and your character in, in our home settings. So we pray that you will guide us by your spirit and teach us the way in which you would have us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a number of years ago, when our children were small, we uh, had the privilege of entertaining Dr. Howard Hendricks in our home. Now, you may not be familiar with this name now, but uh, Dr. Hendricks was a well-known speaker back in the day and uh, author on home and family matters and was speaking at a family conference in which the church that I was pastoring was participating And so we felt honored that when we uh, invited him to come to our home that he accepted our invitation. As my wife set the dinner table, she arranged the seating so that Dr. Hendricks sat next to our son Mark. He was the quieter uh, of our sons and uh, much quieter than his older brother, and it seemed like it would be a safe bet that he would behave himself. Well, we had barely started to eat when Mark began acting totally out of character. It started with him making faces at our guest. I corrected him. Then he started swinging his legs and kicking Dr. Hendricks. Again, I called his name and told him to stop. Next, he began picking his nose. And with that, I knew that our credibility of being the poster poster family for his next book quickly evaporated. The final straw came when our son began eating food off of Dr. Hendrick's plate. I dismissed Mark and myself from the table and went to his bedroom where I threatened him within an inch of his life. We returned to the table and I apologized profusely to Dr. Hendrick's. His response was unforgettable. Don't worry, he said. I have kids, so no explanation is necessary. He paused for a moment and then went on to say, if I didn't have kids, all of the explanation in the world wouldn't have made any difference. (laughs) Someone has said, families are a lot like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Humorous and newspaper columnist Irma Bombach writes, the family, we were a strange band of characters trudging through life, sharing diseases and toothpaste, coveting one another's desserts, hiding shampoo, borrowing money, locking each other out of our rooms, inflicting pain and kissing to heal it in the same instant, loving, laughing, defending, and trying to figure out the common thread that bond us all together. Trying to figure out how to live at home is not easy. 
There are all uh, days and seasons when we wonder, I suppose, if we will ever make it. There are mortgage payments to make, bills to pay, hockey practices and ballet lessons to run to, meals to make, washing to do, grass to cut, and a host of other obligations. Then there are the hassles at work, the demands of kids, and the pressures to keep up with the Joneses. A recent report published by the Vanier Institute of the Family found that every day nearly one quarter of working Canadian adults feel extremely stressed. Workers with one or two children are more likely to be stressed as are those who are divorced or living common law. For many of us, a vacation comes as a welcome and necessary release from the daily strains of managing work, family, and community commitments. Vacation time is often defined family time. However, the report goes on to state, technology is changing the the vacation landscape. iPads, smartphones, and internet cafes are making it possible to take work anywhere, including the cottage or the beach. 44% of Canadians say they receive work-related calls or emails while on holiday. Almost half of Canadians don't use all of their vacation benefits leaving 34 million vacation days unused annually. Collectively, we all share the costs of unused vacation time in terms of individual productivity, performance, health, and well-being, and family relationships. Taking the time to rest, reconnect, and recharge is necessary and of benefit to us all, the report stated. So how do we navigate the stress and pressures at home in a way that promotes sense and sensibility? How do we develop strong foundations for our families? What is the process for creating healthy homes? Well, to help us determine how to move forward in developing healthy families, I would like to revisit a story contained in the Sermon on the Mount we considered briefly last week as part of the Essential Jesus series that's been our focus for the last little while. It's the story of the wise and foolish builders. So listen again to the words of Jesus. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. From this account, I believe that we can discover some essential components for establishing healthy homes. We will learn that healthy homes are built on a sure foundation. Well, the first matter to consider in laying a solid foundation for healthy family living is to take into account that storms happen to us all. The presence of storms in Jesus' story was just assumed by him. And the wise builder takes this account when she builds her house. A wise woman builds her home, Proverbs 14.1 states, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Every family must face the inevitability of storms that rage against the dream of happy ever after bliss we have come to believe should be the normal environment of our homes, especially if we claim to be Christian. Sometimes when I met with couples whose marriages I would perform, I I asked them the question if they ever expected to have conflict in their marriage. 
Some of them would look all dreamy-eyed at me as if, they were on, as if I were on another planet. They were over the moon in love. The possibility of ever feeling anything but warm, tender thoughts towards each other was beyond their capacity to imagine. And I would inform them that they were in for the shock of their lives. There is not one household that does not experience the threat of pain and turmoil and dashed hopes and bitter disappointment caused by the inescapable storms of life. How we learn to deal with the reality of these storms will determine if we safely weather them or not. Peter Scazzaro, in his, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, describes five possible ways of coping with the inevitable struggles of family living. Based primarily on what they understand the foundations of family life to include, families may be classified by different levels of health. And so he gives them in this way. He says the fifth level is the family in pain. This is a severely disturbed family. Real leadership is totally lacking. Chaos, uncertainty, confusion, turmoil are the adjectives that describe these homes. Conflicts are never dealt with or resolved. There is no ability to look at issues with clarity. Level four is the borderline family. This is a polarized family. Instead of anarchy, as in level five, a dictatorship rules here. Instead of no rules, this home has nothing but black and white rules. There are rigid ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving that are expected of all members. Uh, all members. Individuals cannot say, I disagree with what you say. Level three is the rule-bound family. This family is not in chaos or under dictatorship. It is healthier than level four. Feeling loved and good about oneself, however, depends on obeying the spoken and unspoken rules of the family. If you love me, you would do all the things you know will meet with my approval. There is an invisible referee with the rules of the system being more important than the individual. A subtle level of manipulation and guilt permeate the home. Levels two and one, Schizero combines to describe the adequate family and the optimal family. In these families, there is ability to be flexible and cherish each individual while at the same time valuing a sense of closeness. Good feelings, trust, and teamwork by the parents enable members to work through difficulties and conflicts. What distinguishes level two families from level one families can be summed up in one word, delight. Level one families truly delight in being with one another. Scarrow goes on to suggest, uh, goes on to suggest that how families cope with the inevitable storms of life depends on what level they position themselves. Perhaps as you listen, you were able to determine the level on which your family operates. The one thing that storms do is expose the foundations of our families. In his parable, Jesus boldly declares that the way to establish a solid foundation on which to build our families is to practice his teaching. The real delight that will bring us to level one in our family relationships is to delight ourselves in God. The basis for this delight is trust. This trust is birthed from embracing the hope of the personal presence of Jesus, abiding with us throughout all of our days, the assurance of his present risenness. 
Through his resurrection, Jesus assured us of two things. The promise of his presence, I will be with you every day of your life right up until the time your life runs out. And the presence of his promise, Christ in you now and the hope of life forever with him down the road. Jesus never guaranteed that we would be spared the heartache and pain that accompany life lived in a broken world. In fact, he pretty well told us that we can expect to suffer hardship and trouble. And when these times come, he will be there to carry us through. The strength to persevere and to be strong in troubled times is found not in explanations, but in the knowledge that God is trustworthy. That the one who promised, I will be with you and will not leave you as orphans, is in fact truthful. We all have our belief systems. Faith is an inbred part of our lives. We all exercise faith of some sort every day of our lives. The thing about faith is this. Faith is only as real as the object in which it is placed is trustworthy. And I would argue that God is worthy of our trust, not because of his unrestricted power to intervene on our behalf, although he certainly can and does do this, but because of a promise given and sustained in Christian families throughout generations. A while ago, I was, I was praying. When I was praying, I was somewhat anxiously asking God to show me what to do over a matter that would affect the security of Janie and me and indirectly our children and grandchildren. I was earnestly asking God to make his will known to me, to be sure that I was absolutely clear on what it is I should do. When I distinctly heard his, Holy, his Spirit saying to my inner spirit, you do know what to do. And as I listened, Jesus' words came to me, remain in me and I will remain in you. And I realized I did know what to do. I am to remain in the assurance that God is trustworthy and rest in the hope that he will work all things for our good when I make loving him my first response to my life's situation. And so I rested. I remained. The answer came and we pushed forward. The kind of trust in God that I'm speaking about may be well known to some of you here today, many of you here today, and you just kind of simply need to be reminded. But for others, this may be a totally new thing. You may be a little skeptical of releasing your family to a trust-based relationship with God. I mean, it may be that you've even tried this once and you feel that you got burned. God didn't come through for you in the way that you had wanted. Let me say that I hear your concerns and reluctance, And all I can say is that from the biblical record and from my own personal experience, I have found God to live up to who he says he is. And when the answers do not always come when I had anticipated or are not quite what I was looking for, trust in the wisdom and power of God as revealed in Jesus Christ has taught me to expectantly wait. And varying degrees, suffer and loss touch us all as does the presence of God in Christ, if we have faith in his presence and hope in his promise. Families who learn to lean into God in the midst of the storms of life find that exposed and even crumbling foundations can indeed be rebuilt. 
in an effort to help in the communication process while they are learning to talk, our children engaged in the practice of teaching sign language to their infant children for simple words like thank you or please or more. They learned that one real quickly or all done. I was thinking as I was preparing this talk of how easy it is to focus on words like please and thank you as the magic words in family life and leave out perhaps a more important word, the word sorry. As far as I know, none of our kids taught their children how to sign the word sorry. The reality is that we all make mistakes We all say and do things that we later regret. A litany of bonehead remarks follow in my train for which I have needed to ask for forgiveness. I am sorry. Forgive me. Are five key words to rebuilding broken relationships in our families. As part of my seminary training, I took a class on grief and loss. In the class was a father who shared his story on how the relationship with a daughter had soured and led to a total breakdown between the two of them. For, for several years, they had barely spoken. It could hardly be said that they were ships that passed in the night. They were not even in the same ocean. However, recently they were talking again and there were growing signs that the relationship he longed to have with his daughter was being restored. And with tears running down his face, he said to all of us as his classmates, it is never too late to start again. This is so true. It is never too late to pick up the pieces of broken relationships and rebuild. Hope that things can be better is always a possible choice. There is forgiveness for mistakes and failures. There is a wisdom greater than ours that can serve as a foundation for health and wholeness. The God who came still comes. The God who forgave still forgives. The God who intervened still intervenes. The God who restored still restores. Our failures do not have to be either final or fatal. God is the master at creating something beautiful out of something broken. And so with God's help, families who want to grow strong learn to pay attention to the following priorities. They learn to express deep-seated and deep-hearted appreciation. Healthy families consistently express appreciation for one another. They build one another up sensitively and make others feel good about themselves. A while ago, my wife and I attended the piano recital for three of our grandsons, all of whom are brothers. When it was time for the little brother, the middle brother rather, to play, he started off well, but had a brain freeze in the midst of playing, and, and, he, and he stopped. A look of panic shot over to his father. However, he regained his, his composure and was able to complete the piece. When he had finished, he practically ran to his seat and buried his face in his father's shoulder. At that moment, his older brother reached out and kind of tussled his hair a little bit and said, It's okay. I might mess up when I play too. It was his way of bringing comfort to a distraught sibling. Then families that build strong foundations develop good communication patterns. Even strong families have disagreements. 
but they are able to work through the issues that divide before they become full-blown problems. So the difference between healthy families and ailing families is not the presence or absence of conflict, but the way in which conflict is handled. Then families that build strong foundations spend time together. And by this, I mean they do some things together. There are occasions when alone time is necessary. When our children were young, we had uh, all uh, four of our children uh, within uh, less than a six-year span. We um, sometimes just needed to get away, Janie and me. And so there was a good friend of ours who would come and stay with our kids, and we'd go off to a cabin somewhere, and we'd lug our, our, our suitcases in and uh, put them on, and then we'd just stretch out on the floor, and, and, and we'd sleep until we finally woke up and put our uh, stuff away. So there are times when alone time is, is good. But we need, some con- we need to make some concentrated, concerted effort to plan times when we hang out as a family. Now, I will admit that this becomes a greater challenge when children become older and start to set their own schedules. As our children got older and had part-time jobs as well as sports involvements and a growing social life, we agreed as a family to eat supper together at least four times a week. The bottom line here is to carve out some time each week where you spend meaningful time together shaping the family dynamic. And then families that build strong foundations commit to one another. And commitment involves some of these aspects, respect and trust and acceptance, affirmation, responsibility, caring, consistency. These things help us build a strong foundation. And then healthy families promote spiritual values. Research consistently shows that the potential for satisfying family relationships is far greater among religiously oriented families than among those who do not share any faith. Our belief in an ever-present God who loves us and helps us in our everyday lives has had a transforming influence in our family. When our oldest son was in his final year of high school and getting ready to, uh, to go off to college, he had been out one night with his his buddies at a party, and uh, he came home. The bedroom door to our bedroom was, was open, and often he would just come in, and, and he pretty well knew that we weren't asleep and wouldn't go to sleep until likely he came in. And so he would come in, and sometimes he'd just sit on the bed, and we'd have a conversation. One of those occasions, my wife asked him what I thought to be a rather daring question. She said she asked him why he hadn't gotten into some of the lifestyle values and decisions that many of his friends had made. I mean, he went to the parties with them, sometimes as a designated driver, more often maybe than not. His response to her question was, I look at you and Dad, and you are happy, and the choices that you have made for our family are good. Why would I choose to pursue values opposed to what you have lived and risk Losing all of this. For a teenager going off to college, I thought that was a pretty remarkable response. And then finally, families that build healthy uh, foundations deal positively and proactively with crisis. Even in the midst of the darkest times, families that remain strong are able to see hope and not despair. For me, this positive approach is inseparably intertwined with faith in an all-wise all-knowing, ever-present, and loving God who does not remain silent in my times of need. 
And so based on the priorities of appreciation and good communication, spending time together, commitment, spiritual values, and dealing positively with crisis, healthy families have the strength to make wise choices. The story Jesus gave illustrates so clearly the folly of not choosing wisely for our families. I believe that every person here wants to make wise choices in their families. I mean, no one sets out to purposely destroy the family in which they live. Sometimes we just lose our way. About the time we were beginning to raise our children, pastor and author Charlie Shedd published several books that were essentially letters that he had composed to his children when they were young to teach them the truths of the scriptures. In his book, Promises to Peter, he included this account. Before I put you to, to, in your crib, I want to tell you something your brother Philip said. We had been out in the country for a ride. It was evening and we ran out of gas. We were walking along the road after we had been to a farmhouse and I was carrying a can of grass, gas. Philip was only four. He was playing along, throwing rocks at the telephone poles, picking flowers, and then all of a sudden it got dark. Sometimes night comes all at once in the country. Philip came over, put his little hand in mine and said, Take my hand, Daddy. I might get lost. Peter, there is a hand reaching to you from the heart of the universe. If you will lay your hand in the hand of God and walk with him, you will never get lost. And so when it comes to building healthy homes, there is a hand reaching out to you to lead you so you won't get lost. If you will learn to trust God and take his hand, he will guide you in finding the right plans for laying a secure foundation for strong and healthy families. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this morning that family was your idea. And so we accept it as that. We also recognize this morning that there are times in our families when we go through pretty hard times. There are times when it seems like nothing is going the way we want it to go. Everything is going all over the place and we feel lost. I pray that as we are in those times that we will recognize that you are always with us. We sometimes don't get that promise. We just think, well, I don't really see God and I don't feel him and, and also we just ignore the fact that you have said, Lord Jesus, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And so we receive that promise this morning as we try to find our way forward in our family living. Father, I pray that if there are families here represented that are wrestling perhaps with finding you in the journey, I pray that you will help them to see that you are not far away and that if they will open up themselves to you and ask you and invite you and figurative, figuratively place their hand in your hand, that you will give them understanding, that you will help them to establish and build a strong foundation that you will bring your wisdom and power to bear upon them. 
And so, Father, we just ask for these favors. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with me as we give a blessing and uh, send you on your way? You know, this is Canada Day, and it's a great time for families, actually, and, and, and all. But I can't... There, there are three words as I, I thought of uh, Canada Day um, that actually come from our national anthem. And it's this, God, keep our land. I guess that's four words, isn't it? God, keep our land. And as we reflect upon that... Let me say to all of us here today, God, keep us as your people, faithful to you, building strong families, becoming involved in our communities, making a difference, transformed by Jesus, transforming our communities. So God, be with you and keep you and bless you. Amen.